Welcome to Pediagogy. I'm Tammy. And I'm Lydia. And we're pediatric residents at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento. This podcast reviews common conditions in children to enhance our knowledge and the knowledge of other residents, medical students, and any other interested learners. With that, let's delve right into the case. A well-appearing three-month-old male infant is brought to the emergency department by EMS for, quote, turning blue. Dad put baby to bed and noticed that he started to look pale and looked like he had stopped breathing. Dad thinks that this lasted about 45 seconds, during which time he called 911 and started performing mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. EMS states that on arrival, baby was well-appearing. On your exam, vitals and physical are normal as well. You monitor the patient for one hour on pulse ox without any further episodes observed. So Tammy, we're going to talk today about a particularly tricky topic, brew. This is a hard one for all pediatricians because bottom line is we simply just don't know what leads to these events. Yeah. B-R-U-E stands for Brief Resolved Unexplained Event that Occurs in a Patient Less Than One Year of Age. It used to be named ALTE, A-L-T-E, or Apparent Life-Threatening Event, but this was changed to brew in the most recent guidelines. This is likely because quote, life-threatening event does not explain what it is and probably just adds to more anxiety and trust for the providers and the families. So what is our clinical criteria for a brew? Yeah, let's unpack that. So it's brief, so less than a minute, resolved, so back to baseline after the event, and definitely by the time you as a provider assess the patient, and unexplained. It's a diagnosis of exclusion, meaning that we have to rule out all the other scary stuff first. Patients have to be less than one year of age with one or more of the following. Color change, so cyanosis or pallor. Tone change, either hypo or hypertonic. Abnormal breathing, absent, decreased, or irregular, or altered level of consciousness. The other key point in the definition is that the event and patient needs to be assessed by a clinical provider. So family provider assessment is not really enough to meet the criteria for BREW. If the patient is over one year old, then it's also automatically not a brew. So the key is to rule out all the scary things like arrhythmia, secondary to a cardiac issue, or seizures. We'll talk about how to evaluate brew a bit later in the episode. The problem, though, is that once we've ruled out the scary things, we're left with brew, and like Lydia said, we don't even really know what that is, or what causes it. Some theorize a variety of causes such as reflux, dyskesia, or periodic breathing. This can be super unsettling for both providers and parents. The key to management is risk stratifying, ruling out other serious causes, and then reassurance. So brew can be classified as low risk or high risk. It's high risk if the patient is less than two months, less than 32 weeks gestational age, or corrected gestational age less than 45 weeks. The patient required CPR by a trained medical provider, so family doesn't count. And if the event lasted greater than one minute, if there was more than one event, or if there were concerning history or physical exam findings. So things that would be concerning in the history would include things like family history of sudden cardiac death or personal history of respiratory symptoms. Exams should be pretty unremarkable if low risk, so if there's any findings, that definitely warrants a closer look. Having any one of those criteria make it a high-risk brew, meaning they're high-risk for having other underlying causes to explain the brew. We'll talk about how to manage the high-risk brew later in this episode as well. But first, let's discuss how to deal with low-risk brew, which is a brew without any of the high-risk criteria. 
Yeah, so current AAP recommendations state that with a low-risk brew, workup and management are actually pretty minimal. In 2016, the AAP assessed 55 articles from 1970 to 2014, which were a mix of some prospective studies, some retrospective studies, and some case control studies. They did not do a meta-analysis here given the nature of the studies, but they did perform a systematic review of the articles that they found. The key takeaway is that minimal testing was helpful in aiding the diagnosis. Yeah, and the only thing that the AAP recommends doing for low-risk brew is a brief observation with pulse ox, EKG, and pertussis testing. Even these recommendations were still pretty weak recommendations, given the quality of evidence available. For one, it's unclear how long we should be observing these patients for. Babies can have brief desaturations while sleeping, and that can be normal. They may have periodic breathing with brief episodes of apnea as well, which can also be normal. So probably a few hours is enough to observe the baby for any episodes and provide reassurance to the family. Routine EKG screening is also pretty low yield, given the low incidence of arrhythmia in this population, with a positive predictive value of 1%. So it probably will not be the most helpful, although it's low risk, so something to consider. Finally, you can consider pertussis testing based on that child's vaccination history and if testing is readily available at your institution. So at UC Davis, we don't routinely test for pertussis in babies admitted with brew. And don't forget your clinical skills and get a good history and exam to rule out things like trauma, infection, seizure, arrhythmia, anemia, and congenital disorders. The reason why workup is so minimal in a low-risk brew is that it's unlikely that the child would be completely asymptomatic without any other findings if there were these other things. Remember that they should be totally back to baseline when you evaluate them. So if they're not, then it's probably not a low-risk brew. Bottom line, don't do much with a low-risk brew other than a brief observation. Consider EKG or pertussis based on the clinical history. Let's move on to a high-risk brew. So remember how we said you do very little with a low-risk brew? Well, with a high-risk brew, you need to do quite a bit more. Yeah, let's remind ourselves of the criteria for a high-risk brew. Less than two months, less than 32 weeks gestational age, or corrected gestational age less than 45 weeks, Patient required CPR by a trained medical provider, so not family. Event lasted greater than one minute or it was more than one event. The AAP recommends a stepwise approach to evaluating these patients. They don't specifically state that they should be admitted, but the reality is for the workup to be done, they will likely need to be admitted. They also recommend good follow-up for these babies. For the initial evaluation, they recommend starting with the following. Pulse ox, social work consult, speech therapy for a swallow and feeding evaluation, an EKG, again, looking for the arrhythmia, respiratory viral panel and pertussis, looking for infection, hemoglobin and hematocrit, looking for anemia, glucose, looking for hypoglycemia, venous blood glass and lactate, looking for things like sepsis or metabolic disturbances, head imaging and skeletal survey if there's any concern for trauma. So that's quite a lot. And if you're able to get a diagnosis with this initial workup, then you found your answer and it's no longer considered a brew. If you still don't know what's going on with the initial workup, then secondary workup depends on your clinical suspicion. This may include consults depending on your concerns, such as gastroenterology, pulmonology, ENT, child abuse, neurology, cardiology, and genetics. And also includes workups such as a swallow study, sleep study, EEG, upper GI series, pH probe, esophagogastroduinoscopy or EGD, chest x-ray, head imaging, echocardiogram, urine organic acids, amino acids, acyl carnitines, 
basic metabolic panel, and ammonia. Hopefully this extended workup can help you get an answer. If the workup is still negative, then it's deemed a high-risk brew. You've rolled out concerning diagnoses, and after shared decision-making with family, you can discharge the patient home with education and very close follow-up, because likely the results of some of the workup will take time to finalize. Some providers may consider offering CPR training to provide parents additional support at home. Yeah, so overall evidence to support our decision-making in brew is pretty lacking. We don't even really know what causes the brew in the first place. So while we have this rich stratification system, what risk factors or exposures predispose one child to get a brew versus another is unclear. Incidence of brew is also unclear because it's relatively uncommon. And there's no long-term follow-up on outcomes for brew in children and whether a high-risk versus low-risk stratification is actually meaningful clinically long-term. It's also unclear for how long we should be following and monitoring these children. So with the limited data that we have, the best we can do is to risk stratify the patients and make conscientious decisions about which tests to order and give lots and lots of assurance to the families. So to summarize, BREW is a brief resolved unexplained event that can be stratified into low or high risk based on the presentation. For a low risk BREW, we mostly observe, while with a high risk BREW, we do a more extensive workup to rule out more serious diagnoses. Ultimately, we don't know what it is, and the key is to reassure the families and ourselves that it's not a dangerous or long-term disease. That's all for this episode. You can find additional information in the podcast description and our social media resources. Please rate and subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter at PediagogyPod. That's P-E-D-I-A-G-O-G-Y-P-O-D. Special thanks to Orlando Mogania for podcasting production support and Dr. Su Ting Lee and Dr. Lena Vanderlist for supervision. We are supported by funding from the UC Davis Medical Center Department of Pediatrics and the Western Association of Pediatric Program Directors. Thank you.